So I want you to open up this morning in your Bibles. In the book of Luke. The Gospel of Luke. The Gospel according to Luke chapter 9. And we're going to look at verse 18. It's a passage that I believe that everybody knows in this place this morning. I was looking through as Pastor Werner is preaching through his sermons, The Life of Jesus Christ. And I went back and I looked through and to see whether he's preached on this passage so that I don't repeat what he said. And uh, I couldn't find it there, but maybe he did preach about it. So if I repeat his sermon, praise the Lord, then you need to hear it twice. Amen. So the Gospel of Luke chapter 9, and we're going to look at verse 18. A very well-known passage. But before we get to that, I just want you to show you this photo that I came across. It is a really interesting photo. It's of a man, as you can see, there's a hole inside of him. And you can see from every angle right through it, it's, it's connected there, obviously, and it's, uh, this part here upholds the, the head part. And he's got a case in his hands. And the man who sculptured this, he did this and he said, the reason for this is that when people leave their family to go to another country and their country and everything behind, it leaves a hole inside of them as they leave the shores never to see them again. And I was looking at this and uh, I contemplated around it and I meditated on it and I thought, it is so true. Me too. 20 years ago, left South Africa. We went to New Zealand. I left the family behind. Culture, which is a good thing. And somehow it leaves a hole inside of you. And then four years ago, after establishing ourselves in New Zealand, we again did what this man did. Pack our bags and we came to Australia. Leaving new family, Christian family, brothers and sisters, a new culture. Everything behind. That's why I proudly say I'm a South African-born Kiwi who's now living in Australia. I've got my own accent, though some say it's really thick South African. Others say it's German. I've heard that two weeks ago. Some people think I'm a Russian. I can't see that, but they do. But you know what? I'm actually a citizen of another place, out of this world. And it's literally out of this world. But when I saw this and I, and I meditated on this and I felt, you know what? This man sculptured it and it's true. I've been there twice now. But there's another thing that speaks to me in this little photo here. And that is, dear friends, when every person who sits in this place and who's on this planet are born, they are born with an emptiness inside of him like that. When you are born, the Bible says you are born lost and in sin. And you are born for one purpose only, and that is to worship and praise God. And as you grow up, dear friend, you realize that there is this emptiness inside of you. And some people go to extremes to fill that emptiness with all other things. With wealth, with friendships, which is all good in their time and place. Other people go to the extreme. They try to fill it with alcohol, drugs, uh, loose living. But then they realize that emptiness becomes bigger and bigger and bigger and it eats up the whole person. Until, and this is the great news, until they find somebody called Jesus Christ, their Savior. Let me proclaim to you this morning, there's only one way for you to fill that emptiness inside of you. And His name is Jesus Christ. And He's died on a cross for us so that He can fill that gap. Don't you think that's neat? I love to thank you, Gary, this morning for giving us such a, a great scriptures around the table this morning. It's because of what Gary said this morning. It's because of what Jesus Christ did for you and for me. That that empty space inside of us are filled up. And if you are sitting here this morning, if you are sitting here this morning and you say, but listen preacher, I still feel that emptiness inside of me. I still chase after things for that emptiness to be filled up. I want to call out to you this morning and say, come to Jesus, come to the cross. Because that's the only thing that's going to make your life complete and full. 
And I better tone down on these vocal cords now. But somehow I don't think that's going to work this morning. Amen. Let's get into the Word. I just thought I'd throw that into you this morning for free. Amen. Amen. Let's get into the Word. We're going to go now to Luke chapter 9 verse 18. He says, And it happened as he was alone praying, the disciples were with him. Oh, that's a good place to be, isn't it? With him in prayer. And he asked them, saying, Whom do the crowd say that I am? Answering, they said, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah, and others say that one of the old prophets has risen again. He said to them, But what do you say that I am? Answering, Peter said, The Christ of God. The Christ of God. And he strictly charged them and commanded to tell no one this saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. And then in verse 23, And He said to them all, Everybody say all. He said to them all, He said, If anyone desires to come after Me, if anyone, this is the New King James Version, the King James Version say, if any man wills to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever will save his life shall lose it, but whoever will lose his life for my sake, he shall save it. For what is a man profit if he gains the whole world and loses himself or cast away? For soever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, the Son of Man shall be ashamed of him when he shall come in his own and in his Father's glory and that of the holy angels. God bless his holy word. Now, looking back at that picture, isn't that scripture verse just classic to that photo I've got up there? If any man will follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Heavenly Father, as I read these scripture verses this morning, I thank you. I thank you that I have the opportunity, Lord, to read your word publicly. Still in a country where it's free to do that. Father, I think of my brothers and sisters in other countries who can't do that. Yet we are sitting here so privileged, Lord. So privileged. We have the Bible in your hands in written form. We have it on iPads and iPhones. And we can read it, Father. And this is a blessing. And even though I say nothing now, I walk off the stage, I get in my car and I go home, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that your word has been spoken today. And my Bible gives me the promise, Lord. He says, your word will not go out and come back void, but will accomplish every single thing that it's been purposed for. So as there are people sitting here this morning, Lord, I know. I know this for a fact that you've got a message for them. My prayer this morning is, Lord, that they prepare their hearts to receive the Word and that that Word grow and become multiple and multiple and multiple, Father. And that others might see the fruit in their lives and that they say, I am so hungry, I want what you've got. So, Father, I thank you this morning as I'm preaching to these people. I pray now, Lord, that you cover me under your blood, under your protection, Lord. I pray that you touch my mind, Lord, touch my lips, and let me say what you want me to say this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. How wonderful. You know, he says in those words in verse 23, he says, And he said to all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. I want to talk to you this morning about this question. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Have you worked that out for you? What does it mean to follow Jesus? Not just to shout about Jesus, not just to sing about Jesus, not just to put the pin on your, on, on, your, on your shirt to walk around and say, I belong to Jesus. No, no. What does it belong? What does it mean this morning to follow Jesus? That's the question. If you look at what Jesus said, you can surely ask. Now, I must say this morning, as we're going to look at the place where Jesus made this revelation, it's a specific place. In the book of Mark, chapter 8, verse 27, we find that the Bible says they were at a place called Caesarea Philippi. Now, what is so interesting about Caesarea Philippi? 
Well, Caesarea Philippi is to the northern part of the land of Israel. It's north of Nazareth. It's north of Jerusalem. What makes it also interesting is that this is the furthest most part that Jesus went on his ministry. And now at this town, he turns back and he's going to go all the way back to Jerusalem for one purpose only, and that is to die on the cross. He wasn't going to walk any further. And it is at this place, Caesarea Philippi, that he gives a revelation. The revelation comes to, to Peter. And what is interesting about Caesarea Philippi is that this is also a pagan city. It is a place at that point in time when Jesus came there where there were seven, seven places of worship for false gods. In fact, they call this place the birthplace of false gods, Caesarea Philippi. As they walked through the city, they would have seen the temple of Zeus or a carbon copy of the temple of Zeus there. They would walk a little bit further on and they'll see a beautiful temple to the god Nemesis they would see two other temples to Pan. Pan was a god which they created. In fact, if you walk a little bit further on, you come to a little hole in rocks, and if you walk right in, you get a well there. And they called this place the well, the bottomless well. Perfect, clear crystal water came from this well, and they believed that was a sign of divinity, and this is the place where they started worshipping Pan, the Pan god. There were seven of these places. There were also temples there for goats. The swaying goat. It is at this place. This is why I love the Bible so much, dear friends, because there's so much more behind the words that you just read. And you must ask yourself the question, why? Why, Jesus? Why do you tell at this place your, your, follow, your disciples to follow you? Why do you ask at this place your disciples to deny themselves? Why do you ask at this place your disciples to take up their cross daily? At this birthplace of all of these false gods, the real, the real Jesus steps in there and He is being revealed to Peter. A wonderful thing, isn't it? Not only that, He's going to turn around now and He's going to walk all the way back to Jerusalem to be crucified. He's going to live to the words that He said. It's not only saying things, but doing things, dear friends. Now the thing is, in Luke chapter 9 verse 18, He asked them, He says, Whom do the crowd say that I am? And I like it when you break the Scripture up like that. Who does the crowd say that I am? You see, dear friends, we are today living in a Caesarea Philippi, don't we? Look around you. Oh, we've got so many temples set up in the city of ours. Now, I like my sport, don't get me wrong, but just if you drive down 15 kilometers from here, you'll find a big stadium called the NCG. Now, I'm not saying don't go there, but listen to me, dear friends. I hear so many people, when they fill that place up, they say, oh, there's such a great spirit here, isn't it? That's not the Spirit of God. But you see, we are living in Caesarea Philippi. There are so many temples raised around us. People are chasing these things down. We are living in the same time. These words of Jesus Christ is coming to us as it was to these men way back then. And in the midst of this, He comes to them and He says, Whom do the crowds say that I am? You notice that He say the crowds, the people... I want to ask you this question. You're going to go out into the streets this afternoon. You've done it for so many times. What does the people say Christ is? I'll tell you, they don't want to know Him. They don't want to know Him. They give Him many other names. Even God in heaven, I hear people say, Oh, the man up there must have been looking after us. It's different for every person out there. It's a free-for-all. They even use His name for a curse word. Because they do not know. Whom does the crowd say that I am? Obviously he was talking here to Jewish boys. And when he spoke to the Jewish boys, he was expecting a specific answer back. And they gave him that answer. They say, and this is the human view, in verse 19, answering, they said, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah, and others say, the one of the old prophets has risen. 
Now let me tell you, friends, I deal with a lot of people in other churches. You ask them who Jesus is to them, and you'll find these kind of answers in the church. It's a human view. He's just another man. He's just another prophet. It is what Jesus can do for me. That is what's going on. Who does the world say that I am, Jesus said? And they said, one of the prophets. And then he makes it personal. Isn't it? If you look at that verse there, he says, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And listen to me, dear friend, each one in this place needs to answer this question for themselves. I don't care what your mom and your dad say who Jesus is. I don't care what your testimony say, what He did 20 years for you. I want to ask you personally this morning, if I ask you this morning, who do you say, who do you say that Jesus is? Who is He to you? Amen. He's my Lord and my Savior. Think about those words. He's my Lord, which means He takes control of my life. And He's my Savior who saved me. Who is He to you? Listen, Peter. Listen, John. Listen, listen, uh, everybody around me, disciples. Who do you say? We know what the world say. We know what they say, but what do you say? And I find so many times in church, people sit there and they go and they look around and say, yeah, talk to him, talk to them. But he's pointing his finger at you this morning and he say, who do you say that I am? And I love the next part. Because Peter answers this and he says, Christ. He says, you are Christ of God. Christ of God. I like it in Matthew 16, 16, because he gives a, a little bit more there. He says, and Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Christos Iosua Theos. Christos Iosua Theos. Can I say that again? Christos Iosua Theos. That's who you are. What does it mean, church? What does it mean to you? Is it only words on a board there? Or have you taken it on board? It means the anointed kingship, the living supreme divinity. It means like a magistrate. You are the despot. You are the king of kings. You are the Messiah. You are the Christ. Is that who He is in your life? Think about it. Have you made it out? Or are you still in the crowd and say, who does the crowd say that I am? These days I see a lot of people that want to hang back in the crowd and shout, shout out from the crowd. Don't you see that? The biggest mouths you find is in the crowds, isn't it? But once you've got to step out, that's when, that's when you stand in the spotlight. And you've got to say, who is Christ to you? Christos, Eos, Zuathios. He's my Messiah. He's my Christ. He's my all in all. This is a wonderful revelation. You see, it's after this that Jesus said, He says, and answered him, He says, You are blessed, Simon, son of Jonah. Why? For flesh and blood did not reveal it to you. This is a revelation. This revelation came from our Heavenly Father. No flesh and blood. Let me tell you this, dear friends. I can say it until I'm blue in the face. I can jump up and down. I can sweat. You can think all about me. But if you haven't got that revelation, dear friends, it will only be water washing all over you. And how do you find that you go on your knees and you call upon Him for the revelation of Christos? Iosua Theos. He says, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. You can have the best preacher, equivalent, more clever. He can be a professor. He can be a doctor. And you can hang on his lips, but you need the revelation from God. He says, this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And this is why I say, a revelation from God the Father will change your human view into a heavenly view. And somebody shout hallelujah. That's what He will do. Who does the crowd say that I am? That is the earthly view. 
But who do you say that I am? And the revelation comes to you, and you know what happens? You change your earthly view, becomes a heavenly view. That's what revelation does to you. And my dear friends, without revelation, you can only see Jesus, you can't see the Christ. Can I say that again? Without revelation, you can only see Jesus, and you will become a fan of Jesus. That is what it is. You become a fan of Him, but not a follower. Do you know there's a difference between a fan and a follower? There's an absolute big difference there. You see, for you to become a follower, you needed to meet the man personally. But a fan, you can do that from a distance. Yes? I mean, let's take a, a really important person in the world right now. Just somebody cry out, a very important person. Somebody. Who? Obama. I, I knew that was going to come up. <laughs> Have you met Obama? Anyone in this place? Well, he's not an actually good example because is there any fans here? I thought so. <laughs> but just take any, you know, any, you, know, you take any famous person. You can be a fan of him. You can join his fan club on Facebook. But if you haven't met him personally, dear friends, you can't be his follower. Jesus don't need fans. He needs followers. He didn't turn to Peter and he says, Wow, Peter, you've got the revelation. Now become my fan. I want a fan to follow. No, no. He wants followers. There is a difference between a fan and a follower. A follower will give up his life for what he follows. A fan won't do that. I mean, there's so many sport people who, who follow sports here, but people change and all. If my team loses, I'll become a fan of another team. Or are you a follower? But this is what it is, dear friends. He turns to them and he says, Flesh and blood did not reveal this. And it's on the back of this that he says our text this morning. He says to them, and he said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. I want you to keep that verse open in your Bible because I'm going to unpack it quickly for you. I'm going to give you three things this morning. Three teachings and then I'm going to give you an example and we're finished. First of all, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean? It means to alter the course of your life. Think about that. If you want to become a follower, you need to alter the course of your life. He says, first of all, if any man comes to me. What does any mean, church? Any. That means any. Any means any. That means doesn't matter who that person is. It could be a sinner, yes? It could be the vilest sinner there is. The Bible says, if any man follows me, it could be a South African, it could be a white person, a black person, a yellow person, it could be a Mexican, it doesn't matter who they are. The Bible says, if any man, any man under the sun, that's my part in there, will come after me. And this is so wonderful to realize that there is room at the cross for you. Who knows that song? I love that song. I thought at this point in time I was going to sing it, but I'm not. But it says, there's room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. Any man. Listen, you might be sitting here this morning, and as I said before, you might still feel that little gap inside of you. I'm talking to you now. I don't look at your church register how many times you've come and how beautiful you smile afterwards when we have coffee and you say, no, she's all right, mate. No, how's things going? Oh, not too bad. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you now. If any man, if you're sitting here this morning and you feel there's no room for me, there is room for you. Any man come. You see... What I like about this, when you look at that, he says, when any man will come after me, it's not a call, it's not a call to come to him, it's a call to come with him. Think about that. We go out and what do we do? We do street work and we want people to come to Jesus. And that's important. And we sing it and we say, come to the cross, come to Jesus. But the follower goes a little bit further on, friends. A follower don't just come to Jesus and go... Okay, what do we do now? Hmm. No, no. A follower goes with Jesus. And this is the call this morning. 
I don't want you just to come to church and sit here and say, yeah, yeah, kumbaya, we're with Jesus. No, no, no. I want you to follow Him. In fact, it's not me who wants you to follow Him. It's Jesus. He says, if any man comes after me, comes after me means to follow me. And this means that he has to change the direction of his course, of his life. Now, the question is always, what does that mean? What does it mean to alter the course of your life? Well, and how do you do that? Well, there's two ways you do that. First of all, you change the leadership of your life. And secondly, you change the focus of your life. This is how you alter the course of your life. First of all, you change the leadership. He says, come after me. Can you see the words, come after me? It, it, comes from the word, it comes from the word, follow me where I go. And listen, dear friends, this does not mean to, to come alongside Jesus. I've heard so many people say, just come alongside Jesus. Or I've heard somebody testify and they say, Jesus is the co-pilot in my life. Listen, He's not the co-pilot. He is the pilot. This is what changing leadership means. Leadership means you're sitting in the plane, you're holding on, Jesus steps in, you don't say, look, strap yourself in there, you're the co-pilot. I'm going to fly this thing. No, 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 no. He says, leave, let go, let your hands go. You step out of the seat, He steps into the seat and He flies the plane. Listen, Jesus is not part of your posse. You understand that? He's not part of your fan club. You're not part of his fan club. He's the leader in your life. And this is what it means to change the leadership. He says, comes after. It means, get behind me. Get behind me, dear saint, and follow me. And he will lead, and where he leads, you will follow. Now, let me give you an example out of the Word. Go with me to the book of Psalm, chapter 37. Everybody, open up your Bible. Psalm, chapter 37. Let's do some Bible work. And nobody say Amen. Wow. <laughs> Psalm 37. Look at verse 23. It's one of my favorite Psalms, this. He says in verse 23, and I've heard so many people quote this verse, but I want to open it up quickly for you. He says, The steps of a good man. Everybody say, Good man. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Yeah? Who is the leader in this verse? The Lord. He is the pilot. He says the steps of a good man is ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. Let me tell you, if you want to have a delight in your way, give your steps over to the Lord. Now I want to unpack it a little bit further. Take your other finger, in one of your fingers, and put it into Psalm 1. Only a few pages you can do it. Psalm 1. Keep it like this so that you can flick between the two. Because we need to now identify what is a good man, isn't it? He says it right there. He says the steps of a good man. Everybody say good man. Yeah, you see you all said it. Now we've got to explain it. What is a good man? Well, we get one definition. There's so many others, but I haven't got time. Okay, I know it's warm, and I know I need to hurry up because the sweat's starting to come. So let's get on with this. He says in Psalm 1, look at this, verse 1. Blessed. Everybody say blessed. Now this is good teaching here. Just hold on. He says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of the sinners, nor sits in the seed of the scornful. There is a definition of a good man. He says... In, in the verse, in, if you flick back, he says, The steps of a good man. What is a good man? Psalm 1 1. Now look at this. Walks, in, not in the council. If I walk, I can still walk out. Yes or no? He says, It's good if you do not walk in the council. But if you do walk in the council, what's going to happen next? You're going to stand still. And he says the next verse, Nor stand in the path of the sinner. What happens if you stand for a while? The legs get tired. You want to sit down now. You see, standing is a more permanent feature than walking. Sitting is way more permanent than standing. Look at the next part. He says, nor sits in the seed of a scornful. Now this man is blessed because he doesn't do that. That's what a good man is. Now keep your finger there and flick back. 
to Psalm, 20, uh, 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 Psalm 37, verse 23. The steps of a good man are what? Ordered by the Lord. Everybody say ordered. Now the question is again, how today does the Lord order footsteps? Go back to Psalm 1. The Bible is wonderful, isn't it? It teaches all things. I'm going to read verse 1 again because there's a but at the start of verse 2. And I can't just start with a but. I need to give you the context before that. He says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of the sinner, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. All of that so far is negative. Nor. Then he says, but, sharp contrast, his delight is in the what? The law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates it day and night. Flick back to Psalm 37. Look at verse 23 now again. He says, the steps of a good man, we know now what a good man is, are ordered by the Lord. How? By His Word. By His Word. But what do you need to do? First of all, dear friend, you change the leadership of your life. You submit to the Word of God. You submit to Him. Amen? Everybody got that? Can we move on? It flows into the next one. Look at this now. You change the leadership. This is how you change the course of your life. Then you change the focus of your love. Listen to me, dear friends. You will follow the object of your affection. That is a given. You and I will follow the object of your affection. Now, my son got married last week. And I'm going to use that as an example. So, his wife, now wife, then fiancé, I don't get mixed up here, was living in New Zealand. She's a South African girl. Her family also migrated there and they were living over there. So my son moved over to Australia. They knew each other for eight years. They, they knew each other since they were 14 years old. A wonderful love story. Beautiful. If anyone wants to write a book, I'll give you the rights to that. But you see, this is the thing, dear friends. The point here is that Richard went back to New Zealand last week. And he put a ring on the girl's finger and he make a covenant to God. He says, I will love you forever. And what did she do? The object of her affection was my son. And what did she do? She left her family behind. She got on a plane and she flew over to Australia. That's a beautiful picture, isn't it? But it's so true to this. You need to change the focus of your love if you want to change the course of your life. What are you loving? Let me give you this as a test. What you love is the thing you will spend the most time on. True? I'm not asking you, I'm telling you. The thing that you spend the most time on is the thing that you love the most. How much time do you spend on Jesus? What is the expectation of your love? You see, if you want to change the course of your life, if you truly want to do what Jesus says, if any man will come, if you truly want to come after Him, you need to change and alter the course of your life. And you change the leadership and you change your life. You know, it's Paul who says in, uh, in 2 Corinthians 5.14, he says that the love of Christ constrains me. The love of Christ constrains me. There was a young man who called up his pastor. A young man. And he said, Pastor... Honestly, I can't do this anymore. I can't be a Christian any longer. It is too hard to do. And the pastor listened to me out for nearly 15 minutes. He complained and complained and complained. And at, at the given time, the pastor said to me, he says, well, why don't you just give up? Just give up. Throw it in. You don't have to. Just, just walk away. And there was a silence on the phone for nearly as long, 15 minutes. Nobody said a word. Just dead silence. Nearly like now, <laughs> but more silent. And you know what happened? That boy came back, he says, but I can't do it. He says, I can't walk away. And you know what it was? It was the love of Christ that constrained him. Isn't it wonderful? Dear friends, what does it mean to follow Christ? It means to alter the course of your life. If any man will come after me, what do you do? You change the leadership, you give it over to Jesus, and you change the focus. The second thing is, what it means to follow Jesus, it means to abandon the control of your life. 
the control of your life. Listen to him. He says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Everybody say deny. You need to deny yourself. And this is what it means to follow Jesus. I remember when I gave my heart to the Lord, somebody drew a picture of a heart. I don't know if it happened to you. If it did, you will love this. They drew a picture of a heart on a piece of paper to me. They said, this is what happens to you now. And in the middle of the picture, there was a chair. And on the chair, they wrote my name down. And outside of the heart, they wrote the name down, Jesus. And they said, you know, before you came to Christ, this is where you were. You were in control of your life. You were doing things. And then they drew a second heart and the same chair. And this time on the chair they wrote the name Jesus. And inside of that they wrote my name down. You see, dear friends, we deny our lives. We deny ourselves. This is how we start following Jesus. Listen, let me tell you this. Christ died to give us salvation, not a self-esteem. That is what you hear preached this day. You know, this goes so against the world. This goes so against prosperity preaching. Because in prosperity preaching in the world, it's all about self-love. It's all about self-esteem, self-image. It's building yourself up. Think about you. It's about me, myself, and I. That's what the world say. But I'm standing here this morning and I go against the flow. And I tell you that if you want to follow Jesus, you need to deny yourself. No self-esteem. Oh, does it mean that I become this poor? No, 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 no. You get God esteem. Hallelujah. Yes. And you know what He will do? He will build you up where He wants you to be. The Bible says in the book of James that we look into the Word as a mirror and He changes us daily into the image of His Son. Now, what do you want? Do you want to have a great self-esteem or to be in the image of His Son? The choice is yours. Nobody's going to force you. You say yea or nay. And this is what it's all about. Now again, the question is, what does it mean to deny yourself? There's two things. First of all, you close your self-life and you walk into a slave life. That's what it means practically. You close your self-life. It means, and the Greek word here that's used means to disown yourself. Do you know what it means to disown? It means that you give up all the rights that you have. You just give them up. We're living in a society where there's so many rights, isn't it? There's baby rights, children rights, animal rights, all the rights in the world. And then there's people who say, I've got my rights, you know, I'm going to stand on my rights. But here, Jesus comes and He says, deny yourself. And Greek word, like I say, they use there, it means to disown or renounce yourself. Have you ever heard a message like that? Honestly, if I go onto a worldly stage where I get now and then opportunity to, to be a, a keynote speaker and I stand up there and I say to people these words I tell to you now, you know what I'm going to get is really big frowns in the crowd. What? Is that a motivational speaker? No way! <laughs> but you see, the kingdom of, of God is the other way around. And, and, and look, listen, let me just throw this in here. It is not Joel Austin's book of your best life now. That is so opposite to this. That is totally the difference. Or the latest book, the, the, I, or the Power in I Am. That is blasphemous. Let me just say that. I want, don't want to throw this whole sermon, but it's blasphemous. That's not what it is. It means to renounce yourself, to disown yourself from every single right you have. But that flows into the next part. It means you walk into a slave life. If you throw your rights away, you give it to somebody. Somebody's picking up that rights. And in our case, we denounce uh, disown our rights and we hand it over to Jesus Christ. And what happens then? We walk into a slave life. Isn't that wonderful? And again, if I come to the world and say, you've got to become a slave, they'll say, what are you, crazy? We got rid of slavery years ago. But it is so fascinating to see the Bible works different. Listen to Paul. You know, when Paul writes to the church in Rome, what does he say? He says, Paul, a bond servant. Have you seen that? He uses the word doulos. 
which means it's a servant out of free will. He says, I come and I freely hand over my rights to God and I'm now his bond servant. He's not the only guy saying that. Peter himself in the second letter of Peter, he says, Peter, a bond servant. And if it's only the two of them, I go, well, you know, those two crazies. No, no, no. It's James also. James writes, he says, I'm a bond servant. I'm a doulos. I come to God and I give over my rights to Him and now I become a slave to Him. And you know what a slave means? You've got no rights. It brings us back to the first part where you give your rights over to Him. Listen, you want to follow Christ? You better listen to what I'm saying because that is what it entails to be a follower. Otherwise, you, you, you might as well be a fan. The fan club is still open. You know how you become a follower? You get born again into the body. It is so wonderful. You know, the world say to reach happiness is to be free. Isn't it right? I was also young and blood pumped through my veins. And I was growing up in my dad's house and I go, Oh man, I just, I'm, I'm looking for freedom. I want to be independent. You know, I want to do things on my way. And I, I say, I'm going to do this, and Dad always says, Oh, you know, I wouldn't do it that way. Why don't you do it? Oh, come on, Dad. I want the freedom to choose. I want freedom. I want my own car. I want to go places where I want to go. I don't want to go where the old folks go. And, you know, I get in my car. It was a VW, a budget buck. It was a, 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 the Germans make them, the old Volkswagen, yes. I bought it for 500 rands. It was my own. And you know, the first time I get behind it, sap, you know, I was driving out of, of the yard, I go, Whoo, I'm free! <laughs> you know, until when? The gas ran out. <laughs> and I had to go back to my dad and ask for what? <laughs> and what did he say? You shouldn't drive to all of these other places. It's only to go to school or to university. Oh, dad, that's not freedom. The world says, listen, happiness lies in freedom. You know what Jesus says this morning? He says, happiness lies in slavery. Slave to Him. That's where you find total happiness. But I have to learn the hard way, dear friends. I had to live on this earth 20 and 1 years before I realized that. And the day when I gave my heart to them and I said, Lord, I become your slave. You know what I found? I found freedom in it all. I didn't have to go and ask my dad money for fuel anymore. I followed my heavenly Father. And let me finish up, dear friends. What does it mean to follow Jesus? First, you abandon the course of your life. Secondly, you abandon control of your life. And thirdly, it means you accept the cross in your life. Listen to the words of Jesus Christ Himself. He says, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily. Take up his cross daily and follow me. You know, when Jesus spoke about the cross in those days, it's not like the cross of today. In those days, they knew what the cross was all about. They knew it was a Roman cross. When He spoke to His disciples with these words, He says, you have to take up your cross daily. They didn't have these small crosses you buy in the shops. So what does that mean? I'm going to put a cross around my neck. They knew it was the cross of the Romans. This is what they knew. And, and, and you know, pardon me for thinking, Jesus, you mean the cross. What does the cross mean? I'm, I'm often thinking myself as a disciple sitting there with my mindset and thinking what Jesus is saying now. The cross was so different, dear friends. The cross meant to them death. And when Jesus said, you must take up your cross, they connect the two, the cross and death, to each other and say, what does it mean? Well, dear friends, we've got the Word of God. And what does it mean to take up your cross? It means it is a daily practice and it's a daily process. The cross these days is so romanticized. Way back then it wasn't romanticized. Let it be clear this morning that the cross meant the place of death in the Roman system where there's a lot of pain. It was one of, like Gary said this morning, one of the cruelest things that can happen to you was the cross. So when he said that they had to take it up, it was a deadly practice that took place. But not only that, it was a shameful thing because you were hanging next to thieves 
And not only that, they stripped you naked. You were exposed to the world. So when he spoke to them, it's not the cross which, you know, these people do all their things and, and hide behind it or hang nice crosses around it. That's not bearing your cross. That's not taking up your cross. It means you are now proceeding. You're taking the next step in a deadly practice. Something is going to die. I see so many crosses today and people wear them all over. You see... Take up the cross, he's saying, I'm dying in what? In myself, in my wants, in my needs, in my rights. That is what it means. It's a deadly process. I die so that he can live in me. It's no longer I that live, but Christ liveth in me. And, and notice he says, take up his cross. It's not Christ's cross, it's your cross. It's a burden to bear. That is what it means to follow Christ. Let's not romanticize the thing and make it so seeker sensitive that we won't say these things from the pulpit anymore. Listen, let me tell you, if you're a sinner, you're on your way to hell. If you are born again, you're on your way to heaven. There's only one of two choices you make here. But when you decide to follow Christ, it's not a road of roses. The road is not like that. The road is steep and rough. But if He leads me, that's enough. It is climbing a mountain with sometimes big rocks in front of you that you can't go over. You need to go around. Sometimes you need to go over because you can't go around. That's the Christian life. That is what you've got to give up in yourself sometimes. And you need to die in yourself. That is following Christ. That's the true message. I can't tell anything else. Otherwise I will lie to you. And I will be a hypocrite forever and stand before my king and say I've lied to these people as so many people these days who preach from pulpits will do one day. I can't say it more clearer. It is a deadly practice. Take up your cross. And it's also, dear friends, a daily practice. It's a daily process. You see, this happens every day. It happens with me every day. I've also got wants, and I've got needs, and sometimes my wants become so strong, and I've got to sit down and go, I want it really, 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 I want it. And I'm going to have it. But it's not the wise thing to have. And I've got to die in that and kill that want. It's a daily process to take up your cross. And carry. You know, I get people, they say, Oh, you know, I've been there, done that. I gave my heart to the Lord. It was 25 years old. I, I came out, I kneeled out. I said a five-minute prayer. That's it? No, no. He says, I don't call you to me. I call you to follow me. And following me means that you take up your cross, which is a deadly pro thing, and it is a daily process. Paul says it. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 31, he says, I day daily. Uh, that didn't come out right. I die daily. A lot of D's in that word. But you see, dear friends, we want to be survivors, don't we? We want to survive. I've survived the scare. I've survived this. I'm going to be a big survivor. Now give me five minutes to give you two examples. Quickly open up in your Bibles. You say, John, you've said all of these things to us. That is teaching. You showed us what. But give us an example in the Bible that all you've said today is true. You see, I believe Bible need to back up Bible. Is there any believers like that here? Okay, let's go here. Matthew chapter 8 quickly. Just flick over there. Five minutes. I believe I've got five minutes, Pastor Werner. Amen. Matthew chapter 8 verse... Let's start with... Verse 18. In my Bible, it's got the heading cost of discipleship. It's another word for how to follow Christ. But let's read there. Matthew chapter 8, verse 18. And when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. Then a certain scribe came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Oh, look at this. Woe and behold. We've got a follower here. Yeah. Here's a guy who says, Hey, I'm not going to be a fan. I'm going to be a follower. Are we talking the same language here? Let's see if he's listened to the teaching this morning. Now turn over. He says in verse 20, And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lower his head. What did Jesus say? Exactly what I've been teaching you this morning. There's no rights. 
there's denying of self, there's taking up of the cross. That's what he said in those words. Then another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. You see? There's other things. He, and, and then Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own. Oh, there's other, there's other uh, uh, gospel who, who gives a little bit more about that. But you, you get the idea here? Jesus said, look, those people can look after. There's no rights here. You change the course of your life. You deny yourself and you take up your cross. Let me lead you. There's one more. To flick over to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Pastor Werner preached on this a couple of months ago and I thought that was a very good exposition of the text. I really enjoyed that. And it's just this morning as, as we were sitting there and Gary was singing one song that this passage came up to my mind and I thought it's a brilliant example. Luke chapter 18. Look at verse 18. And a certain ruler asked him, saying, God, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Follow you, inherit eternal life. And he said to him, Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. You know the commandments. And then he tells him to hold the commandments. And he said to him, All these things I've kept from my youth. See how good I am. So when Jesus heard this thing, he said to him, Still you lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute this to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. What did Jesus say? Jesus said to him what he said to the disciples way back then at Caesarea Philippi. He says, If any man come after me, let him deny himself and follow me. That's what he said to him. But it was too much for this rich ruler. So, dear friends, I leave you with these words. What does it mean to follow Jesus? It means to alter the course of your life. Come after me. It means to abandon control of your life. Deny himself. And it means to accept the cross in your life. Take up his cross. I've got one song that I want to sing just without the music. It just came up to me as we are preparing. That is, I have decided to follow Jesus. Who knows the song? A lot of helpers. Praise the Lord. I was praying for helpers. <laughs> but if you really want to sing the song, you need to think of the cost. You see, the song doesn't say, I've decided to become a fan of Jesus. It says, I have decided to follow Jesus. It means everything that I said this morning. The world behind me, the cross before me, though no one go with me, still I will follow. Let's all stand and sing it and then I'm going to pray a prayer and we're going to have coffee. I have decided...